This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. On September 1st, 1939, German forces led by Adolf Hitler invaded Poland by air and land in a swift, heavy blow, starting World War II. In a move that would be known as the Blitzkrieg Strategy, which basically translates into a lightning war courtesy of a heavy concentration of firepower along a narrow front to overwhelm an enemy. Although obviously not as a serious of an event, this is reminiscent of how the tight end position operates in the trenches and out in the open field. And about a month and a half after this invasion that started World War II and changed the world, a future tight end was born that would operate his own blitzkrieg on a league and change the landscape of the NFL forever. You simply know him as Ditka. Welcome to the Football History Dude Podcast, where each episode is a journey back in time to learn about the rich history of the NFL. Your host is Arnie Chapman. Football is his passion, and he wants you to come along with him to explore the yesteryear of the gridiron. So hop on board his DeLorean, Let's get this baby up to 88 miles per hour. Let's start just up with the DeLorean. The date is October 18th, 1939 in Carnegie, Pennsylvania. A town just a little southwest of Pittsburgh. We're in steel country, folks. This is blue collar, hard working, American territory. And across the nation, we're wondering what's going to happen over there in Europe. At this time, I mean, who really knew? But what we do know is that a baby is being born that will grow up to change the landscape of the NFL in more ways than one. Iron Mike Dickow will grow up in this tough neck of the woods and go on to play football as a consensus All-American for the University of Pittsburgh, en route to being drafted as the number one overall pick of the 1961 NFL Draft by the Chicago Bears. What happened next? Well... That was his blitzkrieg moment on the league. Because as a rookie, in only 14 games, mind you, at a position primarily known for blocking and toughness, he would go on to amass 56 catches for 1,076 yards and a whopping 12 touchdowns, which would help him win the Rookie of the Year award. And again, the league would never be the same. And that's what this week's guest is here to share with us. His name is Tyler Dunn of Go Long and many other publications. The reason we have Tyler on the show is to discuss his recently released book, The Blood and Guts, How Tight Ends Save Football. And whether you agree with that statement or not, How Tight Ends Save Football, if you're a fan of the sport, you have to appreciate the multiple skills that a tight end must possess to survive, let alone thrive, in any era of the NFL. So sit back, relax, and... (laughs) Wait a minute. Hold up. Before we get into this interview, did you follow or subscribe to this podcast or like it depending on where you're listening to? If you did not, then you need to pause, mash that little subscribe button on your podcast player choice. That way you get the hottest, freshest off the press episodes while each and every week. Okay, now that you've done that, now you can go ahead and sit back Relax and enjoy this interview with author Tyler Dunn. First thing I want to do before we really get into this whole thing is like, you know, I know the book released, what was it, yesterday, October 18th? 
Right. Yep. Not just the process of being released, but like you got a sigh of relief and excitement. I mean, what's going on there? What's that process of releasing a book for your first time? Oh my God. It was, uh, it was pretty surreal, right? When you pour yourself into a project like this, um, it really does need to dominate your your life for for better or worse. You know that was the advice so many book writers gave me is like if you're going to take on a book, you better be passionate about it. Like it better be the first thing you think of when you wake up in the morning because if it's not, inevitably it will be at some point. You've got deadlines to meet. Uh, you've got interviews to to set up, to conduct, to transcribe, to piece together. Um, it can't be a job. I mean, you really do have to love it. And, and really, that was core to this whole project. It was a pure love for football. I think we all remember that moment. We fell in love with the game. And and seeing how it's evolved, how it's changed, how maybe it's kind of getting a little little softer, a little overly sanitized, and, and being a little pissed off about, hey, we, we want football to remain the same. We, we want it to be... You know, high intensity, uh, high pressure packed environment. Guess what? It's going to be aggressive. There's going to be some violence. And the overcorrection, I think, has been a little too much. So um, I, I was passionate about it because I really wanted to find those individuals who are preserving like the soul of the sport. And that's what led me to, you know, Mike Dicka's golf course or the bar with Jeremy Shockey or hanging out with Tony Gonzalez, talking to Rob Gronkowski, George Kittle. I mean, th- these are the players that. You know, it, it could have been a book about linemen, right? I mean, they're in the trenches. That, that's real football, but they're not as visible. A lineman has a good game if you don't hear about that dude for three hours. Like, the tight ends are visible. You're going to this guy on third and long with the season on the line. So you have that combination. You have to do a little bit of everything at the tight end position. And the more you learn about the position and how uh, mentally st- straining it can be uh, day in and day out, it, it it is most reflective of everyday life. Whatever your profession, and that's the way Tony Gonzalez put it, America can relate to the tight end because the tight end has to do it all. So you basically just answered my first question as to like why now, why the book, and why did you choose to write about the tight end? But again, for the listener of the show, I have a copy of the book right here. So it's The Blood and Guts, How Tight End Save Football. Um, you kind of allude to it, I guess, right there, save football, but maybe dig deeper. Like why that title for your book? It depends on what, what, how, how you view the sport, right? I mean, I think a lot of folks watch football for different reasons. I mean, if you have a favorite team and you just want that team to win, I get it. Maybe you've got a gambling bet. Maybe you got a fantasy football lineup to put in. But when it comes to the sport itself, the purity of the game, the fact that this isn't for everybody, and that's okay. Like it's, there's an element of risk, I think, in football that you just frankly don't get in other sports. I've talked to guys about it. I mean, Chris Borland is somebody who, Decided to step away from the game after one year. Shocked the world. I mean, here's a linebacker out of Wisconsin with the San Francisco 49ers who has 100 tackle per year potential, a future pro bowler, stepping away because of concussion concerns. Um, even Chris Borland tells me that, look, there, there's something special about football. There's something special about knowing that there's a, a buddy next to you. And if either one of you don't do your job correctly, then... You could injure your friend. You could injure yourself. That inherent risk, it's, um, you know, you don't just pick up a baseball bat and go to the park with your friends and, and get that kind of feeling, get that kind of emotion. It's, I, I think we can look at these dudes as, as modern day gladiators to take that reality on. And hey, if, if, 
If you want to step away, that's perfectly fine. It's If you want to look after your, your health, that's incredible. Do it. But there, there's going to be people that are going to be willing to take on that risk. And I think that I wish – I just wish the NFL was a little bit more upfront with that honesty about the violence because they really aren't, in my opinion. Um, so I guess that's where it's rooted, right? I mean, just what is what is – real football and to me it's it's that it's that fact that it's not for everybody and it, it's the best of the very best playing a violent game and how is it being preserved and I think that the tight end position because of the the physical and the mental and emotional and spiritual demands that go into it it is something that can carry on. I think there are so many similarities between a Mike Ditka and a Jeremy Shockey and a Rob Gronkowski and a George Kittle. And we kind of hit on these themes throughout, uh, where that, that's the player that can keep it, that can really keep it alive visibly, right? We, we see George Kittle down the field, splitting the seam, catching a touchdown and then going, going crazy in the end zone. We, we, we can see it. We can celebrate it. And it's a hell of a lot of fun. Yeah, you kind of mentioned it earlier too, like a modern day gladiators or maybe the the fact of being able to there I can't say I've played every sport by any means, but I've played many of the sports and I can't compare the camaraderie that you get with football to any of the other sports that I would have played. Of course, it's like you're going to battle with each other kind of thing and you might not even be you might be the one that's the third string long snapper, whatever it is, but during practice, you're still going through all of the same kind of, you know, ups and downs as far as your teammates go. And I mean, did you play yourself or like, do you have experience at all from, from that perspective? Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, God, I can remember playing from as far back as my memory goes all the way through JV football, varsity football. I, I played one year of college D3 before transferring to Syracuse and pursuing this journalism career. Um, I was a qu- quarterback back in the day. I'm going to sound like uh, some some washed up, balding white dude from the middle of nowhere, but it's true. I, I was a quarterback once upon a time, and we had a pretty good team. We won sectionals. You know, we'll, we'll take it. We'll take it. Uh, but we, we all remember just that that moment i mean that 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 pressure right of of playing under the lights on friday with your buddies there's something special about that i mean there's something magical about that and i think it's something that everybody can kind of relate to that that football can just kind of teach you um teach you things in life that you can't really get in any other sport any other hobby any other activity at all there, there there's something different when you're on the field and there's collisions all over the place and you're calling a play, and you've got an assignment, and you're accountable to the guy next to you, man. And you've got you've got to do everything right in a matter of four, five, six seconds. And guess what? Those four, five, six seconds are going to be in your mind, in your memory for the rest of time. I mean, for good or bad, you can remember those plays from high school forever. Uh, there's something pretty cool about that pressure, and I think that these players in the NFL, um, they're they're the best of the very best. They're, they're, they're the ones that we can look to and, and, and really, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's, in one sense, it's hard to relate to somebody in this profession where you're beating each other up in your day job and just then you're in the cold tub hanging out. It's weird, right? Like George Kittle put it that way. Like that's not a normal thing to do in, in any American profession. But when it comes to tight end, you can relate to that position because, you know, Tony Gonzalez, Dallas Clark, all of these guys are detailing. You, you do kind of have to do the, do things you don't necessarily want. Now, Tony Gonzalez, did, he, he doesn't want to do that, 
that uh, you know inline blocking drill at practice and, and and get all bruised up, but he does it. Shannon Sharp didn't necessarily want to rededicate himself as a blocker in the late '90s with the Denver Broncos, but he did it, and they won Super Bowls. Um, I, I think that we all kind of kind of relate to that in our everyday lives. Like we we all have to do things we don't necessarily want to do, but we need to do, and it just it's good for it's good for your character. Um, and, and so I think maybe that's why we kind of gravitate toward a Gronk and a Kittle and a Kelsey, all these guys as well. Yeah, I mean, I, I just as you're mentioning that, I thought of so many different moments and whether it was my life or my career, or whatever it might have been, and just then reliving some of my struggles in football again, just like that. It's like it kind of prepared you at the moment. Maybe you didn't realize it. The coaches always say, you're going to miss this running, you know, all these wind sprints and hills and stuff like that. And Maybe not the specific hill itself I don't miss, but yeah, the camaraderie and going through all that with the teammates, I definitely miss all that myself. There is, it's just, it, there's something cool about it. You're right. It lasts, for, it lasts forever, no doubt. So you mentioned, I mean, we're going to get into, of course, I mean, the names of the players that you're able to, the characters. I, I got to imagine the characters and the stories are going to be intriguing, especially as you go through the book, you get to read some of these stories that... You don't hear other places, you know, it's not a typical book, you know, going through the, it's like a story, history, what it means to be a tight end and a player in the league, and then also just a person on this planet. But uh, how how did you, okay, so I'm looking through the book, right? And I got the different, the, the chapters, so not specifically does it have the player, but it turned out where each chapter essentially is like a... a, a, a a biography, I guess we'll call it, or whatever you want to say. It's like a profile. Like, how did you choose to organize this book? What went through your mind? Right. I think that there's two ways to read the blood and guts. If you want to just jump around, if you want to read about Ben Coates or Shannon Sharp or Kellen Winslow or Jeremy Shockey and, and just, boom, get to that chapter, um, no, no doubt you can do it. You know, get 10,000 words or so and, and learn what made this individual uh, uniquely qualified to preserve everything we're talking about here. You know, everything that we love about the sport itself and what, what it teaches you and, and what we love about it. Uh, but there is a narrative too. I really do, you know, recommend people read it start to finish because you can see so many themes develop from Dicka in chapter one all the way to Kittle in chapter 15. Um, uh, you know, it, it might be something as simple as Mike Dicka really viewing himself as that apex predator on the field, top of the food chain, right? If, if you come at him, he, he's going to be blasting you 10 times. And I, I think that there is, that was new. That was different. That that was football itself. And you can see that, that trait kind of carry through to somebody like Jeremy Shockey. I mean, 40 years later, Jeremy Shockey is somebody who is going to seek that vengeance. I mean, if, if, if he can interpret a slight or if he hears um, you know, who was it? Uh, we, we've got a story of David Gibson for the Indianapolis Colts. Um, tell the Indianapolis star ahead of a game that, yeah, Jeremy Shockey's not, he, he's no Tony Gonzalez. Well, when they played that week, Jeremy Shockey sought him out, lowered his shoulder and just blasted right through Gibson. Like he wanted to deliver the pain. Like he read every word and it meant a lot to him. So that, that element was very Dicka-esque and you see it in, in, in a Kittle, in a Gronk, in their play style. So, you know, there's the, the relationship between a quarterback and a tight end is another thing that comes up again and again. There's names. Bill Belichick's name pops up a handful of times in this book. You can see how somebody like that is at the forefront of the evolution of the position. You know, Mark, Mark Bruner is a name that 
might surprise people to see in there. Hey, he's a throwback 90s inline blocker who embraced that 12-round fight, coached by Mike Malarkey. There's there's a lot of good that comes with that kind of tight end. And then Mike Malarkey's coaching Tony Gonzalez in the next chapter. And they have an epic showdown where they don't see eye to eye on the position, on life, on, on a lot of things. And they nearly go to blows. So I, I do think that there's definitely a narrative that folks will want to kind of stick with um, reading start to finish. But hey, by all means, jump all over the place if you want. Yeah, I mean, I, I would recommend reading it, like you said, read through the narrative initially first and then maybe go back and read some of the individual chapters as you want to read more and dive into it. But uh, so you kind of alluded to it with like the evolution. If I'm sitting at a grocery line store with you, you know, the old school, you actually sit in line and you're like, you know, got the guy bag and your groceries and such. We got a couple minutes here. You're going to tell me the story of the evolution of the tight end just from the role, not specifically the players only. How would that go? I'd say it was founded by Mike Ditka. Um, before Mike Ditka, there's there's split ends, there's ends, there's not really a, a receiving threat in line at that end position. And then all of a sudden, Mike Ditka is, and John Mackey are catching a pass and running over everybody. And then it evolves into Jackie Smith making plays down the field, outrunning DBs deep into the secondary and having that, that, that indomitable energy late in the fourth quarter to just make those plays. He's really a player that is far more than those 5.5 seconds that defined him in a Super Bowl in many people's eyes. Um, Ozzie Newsome, the acrobatics down the field, the the ability to catch literally everything. He didn't drop the ball. Kellen Winslow, matchup nightmare. That's when the scheme comes into play. And and Don Coriel is just changing offensive football forever. I mean, you see elements to the Coriel offense in Dallas in the 90s in the greatest show on turf. With, his, with the St. Louis Rams, and it, and it all started with Winslow kind of being the tip of that spear, a physical freak. I mean, guys thought it was a player from the Los Angeles Lakers, out wide, 6'6", 260, 260 whatever he was, just wreaking havoc. So then coordinators and coaches start to think, okay, if we can find a creature like that and move him around at the tight end position, how are defenses going to defend this? So, you know, then, then you get a wide receiver from Savannah State. Shannon Sharp, Dan Reeves says, let's put him at tight end. And he puts on a little weight. He learns to block just enough. I mean, he, if he stays a wide receiver, he flames out of the NFL in a year or two. He's done. He doesn't, he doesn't last. So then that, that thought is put into heads. But it was really Tony Gonzalez that I think answers your question because he forced teams and front offices and personnel people to view the tight end position through a different lens. Like this is somebody who can maybe have basketball in their past that is going to just, you know, reach atop your head in the secondary and pluck a football out of, out of the sky and, and bend it at every impossible angle. It, it Nobody really looked and sounded and played like Tony Gonzalez before. And it was weird for, I think, the Mike Malarkey's of the world and even, even Dick Vermeil and Trent Green and those Chiefs teams, they didn't really want to feature Tony Gonzalez like he could have been featured I mean, really, he kind of forced the league to evolve, even though he wasn't the the go-to guy for much of his career. But once Tony Gonzalez did what he did, and it was indisputable, and the numbers spoke for themselves, Antonio Gates gets a shot out of Kent State. Jimmy Graham gets a shot after playing basketball at University of Miami. And, and you fast forward to today, my God, you better have an athletic tight end or something closely resembling a, a Graham, a Gronk, a, a, Win, a Winslow, a Gates. Um, other, otherwise your offense is going to be pretty stale. 
going to be pretty lame. You, you, you need that, that physically imposing athletic tight end to, to move around and, and do creative things all over the field. Um, and, and there's a lot of them. That's the good thing. Co- college, it, the college ranks, they're producing a lot of this athleticism now. It, it's harder to find the blockers. You kind of have to coach that blocking up. Uh, but that athleticism at the tight end position, that's here to stay. So as you went through that and you get to the end there, I know Kittle's like at the end. So why why end with Kittle as opposed to maybe some of the other star tight ends in the league right now? Because I think George Kittle, and this is no knock on Travis Kelsey or Mark Andrews or Kyle Pitts. It's, I mean, these are all great tight ends. But, but Kittle understood the world in which Mike Ditka, you know, basically created and Kittle has a lot of long conversations with his dad about just the field kind of being this sacred place where you understand the men who who walked that walk before you and that when you step on the field every single play there's an eye in the sky watching you and the ball might not be coming your way the play may not be designed for you but by god you better bury the player across the line of scrimmage because you owe it to yourself. You owe it to your teammates. You owe it to the Dickas and the, and the Winslows and the Newsoms and the Jackie Smiths and all these tight ends who came before you. Um, I think that really does mean a lot to George Kittle. Like the, the, the big picture of everything. Um, let alone the fact that, I mean, just watch a game. Like he's, he, he can still make plays down the field. I mean, he's, he's no slouch as a receiver, but it's the blocking that's, you know, hilarious, frankly. Uh, that he's just, you know, embarrassing DBs on a play-to-play basis. And that's rare in 2022. So I, I think that really he is the one that's the gold standard today to, to keep it alive. And you, you're striving for that Kittle. If you have a tight end that can block, not just block, if you have a tight end who can maul and destroy like George Kittle, schematically, it just gives you so much unpredictability. Like as an offensive coordinator, you you can keep a defense off balance because I mean, if you have a thin, narrowly built tight tight end in name only, Defenses aren't going to fall for that. They know you're not running power that direction. They know you're not running anything that direction on the ground. So they can tilt their coverage. They, they can do certain things. Um, that's why I think George, you know, he might only have 40 yards in the game. Uh, and you might think, ah, oh, you know, he didn't really help my fantasy team today. Well, how many yards rushing did San Francisco have? And, and that's the value of a George Kittle. Yeah. So as we move forward, oh, here's a game we get to play on this show. I, I don't know if I told you this yet, but I don't know if you can see this DeLorean right here. So yeah, you, you get to go. You go get get to go twenty years into the future, uh, twenty forty two, and tell me like what does the role of the tight end look like at that point? Do you think? I think that the tight end is going to be a lot. You know, I think Kyle Pitts is is what is going to become of the tight end position, and that's 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 a good thing because I think Kyle Pitts is going to become a good blocker. And knowing him, how he's wired, his coaching. I think he'll develop that part of his game. I think he can add that element. He's not going to be Kittle. He's not going to be Gronk. He's not just going to be stuffing people into a gym locker. Um, but I think that his ability to just burn a cornerback down the field deep on routes um, with, with one cut, that that's different, right? He, he's got a quick twitch to him as a tight end that I, I don't even know if Tony Gonzalez and Antonio Gates and some of these guys had where – yeah, that, that, that's going to be a problem for teams. If you've got like a literally wide receiver built tight end who, who can block a little bit and is that dynamic deep down the field, um, that that's what teams are going to strive for. And probably that, hey, back, back in the lab in those seven on seven camps in high school, that player is probably already being created. 
Yeah, I mean, it's curious to see how at one point, because you mentioned like the overcorrection and just how things change as far as schemes and stuff. And at some point, I wonder to when we're going to start going back to seeing more of that heavy run because the the defense goes so light and all that kind of thing. I mean, we see it here and there, but uh, not to that extent. Back in the day, okay, let's take you to your childhood. You could call it the DeLorean moment if you wish. Who was your team growing up and maybe your favorite <laughs> tight end? You know, even though I grew up in Western New York, I was actually a a massive Green Bay Packers fan growing up. So, uh, love the Packers. You know, they they had Mark Tremura, they had Keith Jackson, Bubba Franks. Um, but a favorite tight end, man, that's a good question. I'd say you know who my favorite tight end was as a kid, growing up in Buffalo and seeing him twice a year. It was Ben Coates. I, I think Ben Coates is a player that gets his just due in in my book, The Blood and Guts, and, and doesn't nationally for whatever reason I he's not on NFL Network he's not on ESPN he's not shilling uh and campaigning to be in the Hall of Fame uh, power to him for not selling out it's just not in his makeup but his his game was Hall of Fame worthy it, he was somebody one-on-one who could block Reggie White Bruce Smith Lawrence Taylor at the start of his career and also do damage in the passing game I mean god he played through so much pain we, we talk all about it where even once his helmet kind of got shoved a weird direction. He caught like a little metal shard on the side of his head and he's gushing blood. <laughs> he missed two games in his career. Um, one, one was because his mom tragically passed. The other was a high ankle sprain that can keep guys out weeks, months. Um, he played through so much. He, he's tough as hell. I mean, it's really the product of his upbringing. You know, from age seven to age 20, he's building roofs with his dad, you know, World War II veteran, his dad. Um, his brothers are fighting wars in the Middle East. There's there is a country, country toughness to Ben Coates, which was uh, awesome to watch. I mean, I, maybe it was the big shoulder pads, too. It felt like this dude was eight feet tall out there, just blasting through anything that moved. Uh, I, yeah, I think Ben Coates, let, let, let's go with him as my favorite tight end. Yeah, I mean, he was. He was definitely that type of a player, like you said. I mean, I don't remember specifically in my mind watching him because he wasn't that flashy guy. I think as a kid, you don't realize it, but then I'm going to have to stop this show probably because uh, I don't know if you can see this guy right here. So Barry Sanders, there he is. Okay. So there you go. So that's what I'm trying to get at is you trying to come at me saying you're a Packers fan, bro. Me as a Lions fan, like that ain't going to fly in this (laughs) neck of the woods. The listener of the show already knew it was coming. It took me a second because I love Barry Sanders. I was like, wait a minute. He loves the player. And I, he, I mean, he was entertaining. You know, here, here you go. For my money, the, the 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 most entertaining player in NFL history is Barry Sanders. Maybe the single best player in NFL history. I don't know. I'm not just. He, he was unstoppable. He was fun to watch. Nobody ran like him before, and nobody will run like Barry Sanders after. Yeah, I mean it's okay. I still I'm going to give you a pass again though because when you mention moments that you remember, <laughs> I don't remember what year it is. And in my mind, it might not even been the Packers. I really don't know. But I remember sitting goal line, watching a play develop over the middle of the field. I'm pretty sure. I'm going to say it was the Packers because I want to now. And it was David Sloan. Do you remember that name at all? Yes. Yes. Lions tight end. So there you go. David Sloan hitting over the middle, 
catching this pass and it was just I remember watching the play develop that was the first time I realized like what it meant to watch the play develop because on TV you don't get to see that stuff you see after the ball is already there so it was like the moment that sticks in my head and yes it was uh, David Sloan I'm gonna say it was the Packers just because especially our conversation right now but um other than that let's move on to you told so many stories in the book about being able to go across the country. I mean, talk about some characters. I mean, the tight end position itself just breathes. You got to be a character to be able to stick around and deal with that. I mean, like just pick one or two stories from being with these guys, whether it made the book or not. Oh my goodness gracious. There were so many. Um, I really do think that, you know, hanging out with Jeremy Shockey down in Miami beach has to be at the top of the list when we're just, you know, hanging out over a couple drinks, hearing what life was like growing up in Ada, Oklahoma, uh, to the U, to the Giants, to the Saints, to the Panthers. And you know, by, by the way, here, I don't know if this answers your question. One thing I definitely want to hit on it, because I don't know if people realize this about Jeremy Shockey. We know how he's this party animal and, you know, he's, he's, he's sleeping with chicks and he was pretty open about that. He didn't have girlfriends. You know, but he didn't, he didn't want to be bogged down by a relationship, but he lived his life the way Jeremy Shockey wanted to live his life. He worked hard. He played hard. Rob Gronkowski loved it, for, loved it from afar and took it to a whole new level. But a, a story that people out there should know is Jeremy Shockey saved the dude's life. Um, when he was with the Carolina Panthers his last season, uh, Ben Hartsock, tight end, was choking in the team cafeteria. And a, a teammate initially went up to give him the Heimlich and um, wasn't working. You know, it was more like spooning the dude. Like he, he's like, he, he wasn't really getting to it at all. Jeremy Shockey just, you know, like it's any old Tuesday, just steps up, you know, polishes off his mind, puts his dinner aside for a moment, goes up to heart sock and is boom, one hard shot. Out comes the food, saves his life as the trap, the, the trach units coming in. Like the trainers are coming in ready to cut his throat open to save his life. Um, they're seeing Jeremy Shockey beat him to the punch. Uh, Shockey just sits back down and finishes off his meal and has himself a, a nice day. So he knows the Heim- Heimlich maneuver, put it to use, saved Ben Hartsock's life, basically. For Shockey, too, just the uh, summary, re- it was like, a, I think it was a preseason game where he like stiff arm a dude like out of the sidelines or something like that. I just, that, I just remember him just tough, nasty kind of player. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That was the moment in the Hall of Fame game, Canton, Ohio, Houston Texans, just. A one man hell bent for election, you know, running through the whole defense, just stiff arming and dropping his shoulder. And that was, yeah, Ernie Accorsi was the GM for the Giants at the time. And, you know, he brought up John Mackey's name. You know, I, so you, you bring up a Hall of Famer's name after a play like that. There were Hall of Fame expectations for Jeremy Shockey. He didn't, he didn't live up to that because he couldn't stay healthy. I mean, the, his play style was such that, you know, he, he, it was personal abuse. When he's just running over everybody and refusing to go out of bounds and refusing to go down, he played through so many injuries. Um, but I think his impact on the game is everlasting. There's a reason he's on the cover of the book and people are going to see that when they read that chapter because there's a whole generation of kids looking up to his play style, his Dicka-like, linebacker-like mentality uh, that that wanted to emulate it. And like I said, Rob Gronkowski was one of, one of those young teenagers from Buffalo, New York, writing him a letter right to the Giants facility, telling him how much he loved his game, uh, the, the way he went about everything. Fast forward a generation, and, and Rob Gronkowski's the greatest tight end ever. And he is partying his ass off, having the time of his life, enjoying every minute of it, living like there's no tomorrow. 
just like Jeremy Shockey. Okay, you kind of uh, said it right there, you know, Rob Gronkowski, greatest tight end of all times or whatever. I, I was going to ask a question that I know is not fair because you can't go era to era and try to like transcend time and all that stuff. So I'm, I'm going to change my question up a little bit. Uh, you get to pick kind of like how they do on those ESPN where you like get the arm of this quarterback, the mental of this, whatever. Pick three tight ends that you can mold and what traits are you grabbing from them tight ends to create the perfect tight end of all time? Ooh, I like that question. I think you go with the the athleticism of Tony Gonzalez, uh, the the heart of Dallas Clark. Um, I think that this he's one of the hardest working NFL players I've ever talked to in my life, and the the toughness of Mike Dicka. I'm, I'm still going here. Sorry, let's do one more tray here. How about the uh, the hands of Ozzie Newsom? The hands and the eyes of Ozzie Newsom. He had one drop early in his career. Didn't, didn't drop the ball after that practice game. Didn't matter. He caught everything. So th- th- there's the perfect tight end for you. All right. So that'll bust the. You know they have the 99 ratings in Madden, but they officially get a hundred for the first time or whatever it is. <laughs> so that works for me. Uh, let's get into you know beyond the book again. The book. Let's remind the 100. Oh, percent No doubt about it. Remind the listeners of the show. So, okay, the the, t- the title of the book and where they can find it. No doubt about it. The Blood and Guts, How Tight Ends Save Football. Um, Amazon's always the easiest, right? We're, we're ordering everything on Amazon. So hardcover, Kindle, Audible, it's all there. But but obviously Barnes & Noble, any books, um, your local bookstores, wherever you, you want to get your books, you'll, you'll find it there. Um, it was such a passion project in every conceivable way. I mean, it was, it was a hell of a lot of fun. I mean, who doesn't want to just hang out with Mike Dick at his golf course, Shockey at the bar, Tony Gonzalez, J- Jackie Smith. We didn't talk about him near, nearly enough. I, I think that's a player that chapter three, um, it's going to open some people's eyes what he went through even after he was done playing. And like I said, this book, it becomes a lot more about life than just, a, a position on a football field itself. Yeah, and I, I like I would love to have you get in and tell all these stories, but but we, that's what the book's for. So we're going to go ahead and let the listener of the show grab their copy of the book, and maybe <laughs> maybe they'll get you later down the road as far as some other stories. But uh, speaking of your stories and all your other work, so we have the Go Long podcast and the website and everything. Um, what is that? What is the actual web address? So if the listener of the show wants to learn more about your work. Oh, no doubt. Uh, GoLongTD.com. So that's just my initials for Tyler Dunn and Touchdown, I guess. Um, all long-form journalism, profiles, deep dives on teams. Just try to go beyond the surface-level stuff that we get on you know, the, the, the bottom line of a TV screen or on our Twitter feeds. Uh, I've definitely built up some relationships around the NFL over the years. And and yeah, just wanted to try to cover this game in a very unique way. Tap into those relationships and you can just plug your email right in. Uh, there's a, a paid subscription to get everything that go along, but you can always just hop on that free list initially when you hit subscribe. Uh, get posts for free. And if you like it, you can always upgrade. And also, I'm sorry, I didn't answer your question. There's a podcast too. Yes, we have the Go Along podcast. Uh, former uh, Buffalo Bills director of personnel, Jim Monis is my co-host. And also Isaiah McKenzie for the Buffalo Bills, uh, the starting slot receiver. We we have a show, um, eight episodes through the year to kind of bring bring fans closer to the game, cl- closer. You're gonna get at a podium. 
Yeah, I mean, we mentioned this in the pre pre uh, interview or whatever, but like, we need a McKenzie. Let's get him as many catches after the bye week as possible. Some touchdowns. I got so much shares of best ball in him because I looked at him as a potential prospect. Um, speaking of the long form content, like I said, it is long. I mean, your articles and the like, the in depth bios that one article about the Packers and all that kind of thing that you had that was the the greatest the most read of all time on uh, Bleacher Report, like. <laughs> What's what's the next book? I mean, what what are your plans for the next book then? That's a great question. Um, I've got some ideas, nothing too concrete. I think I've got to wrap my head around those ideas a little bit more. Uh, I, I'm, not, I'm not even to the pitch yet, so it, it's hard to say. It's hard to say, but when it's going to happen, you know, maybe we'll let let these kids grow up a year or two and then take out another project. But I promise you, I, I loved it. It was fun. It was time consuming in, in the best possible ways. I, when you really pour yourself in, into something and, and get to hold it and read it and see it and talk about it like we're doing now, it's pretty dang cool. And more than anything, I just can't wait for everybody else uh, to hear the stories that I've been hearing for the past year from these tight ends. Yeah, dude, I could tell that you legit enjoyed, you thoroughly had a blast writing this book and you have the passion and you want to just continue this, you know, all of their stories, you want to continue it through time. So with that being said, Last words of Gridiron Knowledge Nuggets for the listener of the show through the lens maybe of a tight end. Hmm. Here, here it is. And I got I've done a lot of these pods and radio shows on this book tour. And I, I don't think this has come up, but both Tony Gonzalez and Dallas Clark, you know, Dallas thinks they couldn't be any more different as, as, as people, as players, all of that. Um, you know, with where Dallas comes from, Iowa, walk on, Tony Gonzalez, you know, just, doesn't look like he's got a scab on his body. He's just perfect, right? He's on TV all the time. He's he's he's, he's perfect. Look, they they could not be more similar in terms of how they live their life, um, especially when it comes to being a dad and in the life experiences that they both had. They both went through their share of adversity, and they want their own kids to somehow go through adversity in, in their own lives. And you know, maybe you create it. You know, they they, they you definitely don't hand out a silver platter. Uh, but they just really stress the value of needing to deal with crap in life and needing to overcome it and, and not being a snowplow parent that just, you know, opens up the pearly gates to, to everything. And I think that that was so cool. Like Dallas Clark, he moved his family back to Livermore, Iowa when he was done. Could, could have gone anywhere because he wanted his kids to learn what hard work really is. I mean, t- Tony Gonzalez. He wants his kids to learn what hard work really is and does different things. So that that self-driven child is it's it's so valued by these tight ends that I mean I've got two kids now and they're they're three and one so we're not quite there yet but it's already on my mind like how you've got to go through hard times hard hard times are just good for the soul. There you go. Hard times are good for the soul. Speaking of hard times and being good for the soul. Maybe that's why I'm such a resilient individual sometimes, because you sort of have to be if you're a lifelong Detroit Lions fan. But anywho, hope you enjoyed this interview with Tyler Dunn, and make sure after listening to this interview, you head out to your favorite bookstore, or maybe online, I suppose, and pick up your copy of The Blood and Guts, How Tight Ends Save Football. But for now, dude, I'm through if you're through. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Football History Dude. Make sure you're the first to get the next episode. Please subscribe with your podcast player of choice and head on over to thefootballhistorydude.com for the show notes and more information on the history of the NFL. And remember, dudes, where we're going, we don't need roads. <laughs>